Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word.
Oh man, that's so good. In uh, 1964, Paul Simon wrote the song, The Sound of Silence. And uh, if you know that song, you might know some of the lyrics and have them in your mind. But he talks about this world where everybody's screaming at each other. And there's tons of communication, yet nobody's really listening to one another. And in a world like that, there would be superficial relationships. We wouldn't be truly known by others, nor would we know others in a deep and intimate way. And in this world, the whole population would ultimately, instead of paying attention to the people right in front of their faces, they would bow down to some sort of man-made, glowing deity. So I'm not going to call Paul Simon a prophet, but I'm just going to say and state the obvious that we live in a world with lots of noise where everybody is speaking, but can we acknowledge that we don't do a very good job of listening? Can we admit that the world that we live in, there's lots of noise, lots of screaming, but we don't listen well. And and in this song, I don't think really silence is the problem. Silence isn't really the problem. It's just what happens when no one is listening. I would say, I'd say it this way. If you find yourself in a situation where you're doing all the talking you will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. If you're a boss, if you're a friend, if you're in a relationship, over time, the fact that we're not listening creates this deafening silence around us. And yet silence isn't the problem. I think what I want to talk about today is that I really believe that silence is a gateway to us truly understanding one another. It's only through silence that we can begin to understand the people around us. And so today we are uh, continuing on in a series of talks. This uh, series is called Pace Yourself. And it's just a great way for us to start this new year and slow down, uh, deal with some of the hurry and rushing around that we find in our lives. And we're spending the next four weeks talking about the practices of our faith. And this week we're talking about the practice of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Some of the most challenging things in our lives is simply to get quiet and to get alone. And I would define silence and solitude as this. It's when we commit time and energy to becoming more self-aware and more God-aware. That's what we want to learn how to do as a church, as a community, is commit our time and our energy to becoming more self-aware and more God-aware. And I really believe that through the practice of silence and solitude, that's going to begin to happen. And if you're brand new to church and maybe brand new to your faith and you're just wondering, how do I begin to understand God better? I just, I want to tell you, you need to get silent. You got to get quiet. And if you've been in the church for your entire life and and you would say, man, I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember, but maybe you've stalled out in some areas of your faith. I want to just tell you, you need to get quiet and you need to get alone. And in those spaces of silence and solitude, that really is where God begins to speak. But have you ever noticed that it's a lot easier for us as people to talk than it is to listen? Have you guys noticed that? Um, So it starts off young, right? So I've got kids. We've got some parents in the room, a few parents in the room. So you know that when they're little babies, you're like, oh, I can't wait until they can speak, right? I'm so excited. They're going to say mommy and daddy and milk and banana. And they're going to say all these things. It's going to be so cute. And then they start talking and you're like, how do I shut them up? Right? How do I get them to not talk anymore? Because when we learn to talk, we just start talking and talking and talking. And, and, and really, for most of us, we don't grow out of it, right? 
I was reading a study this week that said uh, we as adults, both men and women, we speak about 16,000 words in a day. Crazy 16,000. And they debunked the old myth that women actually speak more than men in a day. It's just not true, apparently. So, ladies, you're vindicated. I know some cheers in the back. Woo, sweet. No, we all speak lots and lots of words in a day. And part of the problem of not being able to get silent and quiet is that we as a culture have stopped experiencing one thing. And I want to throw that word up on the screen. Boredom. If you're under the age of 20, you don't even know what that is, right? Because you're just like, man, boredom? I don't even know what that's like to, to drive in a car like when I was a kid. And you got to drive for 30 minutes. Do you know what you had to do for that entire drive? Look out the window, right? Like, what else am I going to do with my time except for look out the window? Do you know what you had to do if you were standing in an elevator? You had to stare at other people. And it was weird and uncomfortable and awkward. Some of you have never experienced this because you walk into elevators like this, right? So you never have to look at the other people. It's just, and so we don't know how to be bored. We don't know how to slow down. When you were standing in the, in the line at, you know, at Fred Meyer, you would have to just be a little bored and, and engage in real communication and conversation with other people. Everything is different. Everything's different. And, and I want you to know, I love technology, and I'm a big fan of, of technological progress and cultural progress. I think it's a good thing. And yet, there comes a point where we have to ask ourselves, what are we losing in all of our progress? Have we ever asked ourselves that question? What are we losing in all of our progress as a culture? I was looking back in kind of my life, and, and as, I, as I look back, I, I would say that everything really changed in 2007, and two major things happened in 2007. First, the release of the iPhone. There was a world, teenagers, without this. And <laughs> I was thinking this week back to when I was, a, when I was learning to drive, and I was, I was 16, I got my pickup. My dad got me what was called a bag phone. Anybody remember bag phones? Is some of you in the room... You should look it up. Google bag phone. It's like a backpack because that's, that's how much room it took to fit all of this technology into something. It was like, it was like a backpack-sized thing, and uh, my dad gave it to me in case I would get you know, on the side of the road and I needed some help. I could actually call for help, but I definitely didn't take it with me on an airplane, right, or take it with me in an elevator. I wanted nothing to do with carrying around that stupid thing. Everything changed with the release of the first iPhone. If you remember that video of Steve Jobs standing up with this thing and the applause and the cheers and the excitement of the, the new thing that was going to come in our culture. And it really has changed a lot. It has changed a lot. Do you guys know that uh, the average user of a smartphone touches their phone 2,617 times in a day? That's a lot. And that's, that's 2.5 hours, typically over 76 sessions. And then for you millennials in the room, if you're like me, I'm at the tip of the millennial generation. We spend close to five and a half hours on our phones every day. Now, you don't have to be a mathematician to figure out that that's a lot of your life. I mean, we have a certain limited number of days, hours, and minutes that God has given us on this earth, right? And none of us know exactly how many there are, but we do know that that's a significant portion of our life on earth is spent on the phone, right? Now, you might say, well, well, it's, it's doing good things, and, I, and I, I, I'm sure it is. I'm sure you're accomplishing certain things, 
Once again, what are we losing in that accomplishment? The same year, 2007, was also the year that Facebook went public, if you remember that. A lot changed. I was sort of a late bloomer when it came to Facebook because I had MySpace. (laughs) I loved MySpace. You went on my page and you had to listen to the Foo Fighters. And it was awesome. I loved MySpace. For some of you, maybe you remember that. I think my, my, I looked it up. My page is still out there floating around in the interwebs somewhere. It still exists. I was a late bloomer. I didn't want anything to do with it, but I've got an account now like most Americans do. And, and again, this is not in any way trying to speak negatively about people or about, you know, having a, a Facebook account, but to acknowledge what it's doing to us. Because what we're realizing is that even people who have been intimately involved with creating the iPhone and with uh, building Facebook are looking back and going, we're not so sure it's been as good as we thought it was going to be. In fact, Steve Jobs was famous for saying that if, if he has kids, he would never let them play with an iPad, which is an inter- interesting thing that the creator of this thing is like, I want all of your kids to have it, but I would never let my kids have an iPad. And so we have to go like, what is this all about? Um, Sean Parker, who is the first president of Facebook, is recorded calling himself a conscientious objector. And if that phrase sounds familiar, you probably remember hearing it when you saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge. And, and, and so conscientious objector, he's not on social media. And here's what he says. He says, using Facebook is like junk food. You get instant gratification when you post for likes and comments. It's quick and easy, but has little substance. We knew what we were doing to people's minds, and we did it anyway. Parker says that the thought process when building Facebook was to figure out, listen to this, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And I just got to say, they're a success at that, right? I mean, it it is consuming our thoughts and our time. I was reading about uh, the journey that Facebook went on this week. Do you know that it was originally created without the like button? There was no little like button on the post. And they realized that people were not returning consistently enough to the site. It just wasn't getting enough traction. So somebody had this brilliant idea. We need a feedback loop. We need a way for you to want to find out what other people think of you. And so let's create the like button and let's go on and and figure out how many people liked that picture of my cat or that picture of my my dinner or that that, that theologically deep thing that I just said. I want to find out how many people are really interested in that. And then they realized that releasing likes one at a time wasn't really uh, helping people to release this dopamine hit into their brains like they wanted it to. So what they started doing is releasing them in, in clusters. And so what you'll see is you'll post something up on Facebook. There'll be no likes. And you're like, oh, I'm a terrible human being. And then you come back 10 minutes later and you have 60 likes. And you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a winner now. Look at all the people that love me on Facebook, right? And so they realized that that actually hits you at an emotional level and a psychological level in a way that you're going to come back more often for that. And so, again, um, this has made us very insecure. We live in one of the most insecure cultures that's ever existed, I honestly believe. And maybe you don't feel like you're ever insecure when it comes to this stuff and technology, but have you ever had a text like this? Hey, want to go to the movies today? I know you read it. I know he read it, and he's not responding. And I don't. My foot, my mic. I know they've read it. They're not responding. I'm not sure what they. I'm not sure what's going on. I was reading a uh, an explanation of sort of a timeline for this girl who texted her boyfriend who didn't text her back, 
And here was her journey she went on. 6.30 p.m., she says, hmm, something must have come up. He probably hasn't even read my text yet. We always start off with a little grace, don't we? Like, I'm sure it's not a big deal. Like, they just haven't gotten to it yet, except for that red, you know, receipt. Maybe it just kind of read in their pocket or something. They didn't actually read it, but like, so you start making up excuses. 7 p.m., okay, it's been an hour. This is getting ridiculous. You've all been there before. 8 p.m., he's ignoring me. He's literally ignoring me. 8.30 p.m., are you kidding me? This jerk isn't even going to respond to my text. 9 p.m., oh my gosh, what if he died? You've been there before, right? They are surely dismembered on the side of the road because they haven't responded to my text about the movie. I mean, that's the only explanation that's possible. 9.15 p.m., what if he's dead right now? What if that's why he's not responding to me? 9.30, he's dead. He's dead, I'm a widow now, or whatever they call girlfriends who lose their boyfriends. But we're not insecure. We are more connected than ever and more insecure than ever. What's, what's up with that? Why is that? Shouldn't we be more secure with all of these connections? Maybe these connections we've made are not as meaningful as we've thought they are. And maybe God is calling us to something much deeper, both with him and with each other. I love what John Mark Comer says. Uh, we've been reading this book together. A lot of the stuff we're talking about is in the book. You can grab it in the lobby. But he says this. He says, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we most need. We can't hear God because there's so much noise. We can't hear the voice of God because we are constantly speaking. And I really believe this, if you want to write this down, that we have traded boredom for efficiency, quiet for connectivity, and believed God isn't speaking. Have you ever shaked your fist at God and said, why don't you talk to me? Why don't you show me that you're real? Why don't you show up in my life? I think we've all maybe found ourselves in a situation like that. The question is, are we really listening? Not just, well, I got silent for 20 seconds. I did my part. But is silence and solitude, are these two things part of our daily weekly, monthly, annual rhythm in our lives that show that we really believe that we have a God that wants to speak to us. And I just want you to know that you have a God that wants to say some things to you. And I assure you that there are some things that you and I have not heard because we have not learned how to get silent. I was reading a story about a man named John Francis who woke up on his 27th birthday. And that morning he said, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm just not going to speak for the whole day which I can't even imagine what, what that would take, how challenging that would be, how I'd have to maybe reconfigure my day so that I wouldn't have to speak for a whole day, would I have to give out little cards that said I'm not speaking for a day, or what, what would I have to do to retain friendships and do my job? It goes on in the story that he found that he liked not talking so much for that day that he extended his vow of silence for a year, a whole year. 365 days of silence. And after that year, he realized that, that there was so much going on, and he'd been learning so much that in the end, he didn't speak for 17 years. A 17-year vow of silence. I mean, at 16 years, was he not going, I think I'm done, right? I think I've learned what I needed to learn. In fact, he wasn't. Here's his quote once he came out of this vow of silence. Here's what he said. He said, I kept feeling I had more to explore. 
That there's this feeling that there's so, so, such a deep environment going on in my soul and in my being that there's just so much more to learn. I want to be silent more. And so after 17 years, he finally speaks. And although I, I would say he did also say that at year 10, he broke his vow of silence to call his mom on her birthday. So there, there's that. But other than that, no speaking. 17 years. Clearly this man understood the value of silence. And so the question is, how does this all affect our relationship with God? If we don't do this, which I would say most of us, if we're honest, we don't. We don't know how to be silent. We know how to talk at God. We don't know how to really hear the voice of God. We certainly maybe don't spend that much time being quiet and hearing the voice of God. How healthy is our relationship with this God? If most of us in the room, which I would venture to say many of us probably don't do a very good job at being silent. How good is our relationship with this God? Well, there's three gauges, three questions that I'd like to use to to define how healthy your relationship with God is. And here they are. The first is this. Do you know what he says about you, about the world, about himself? That's the start of a relationship is is, is, do you know what he says? The second question I would use is, uh, do you believe what he says? Because certainly if we know what God says, but don't believe what he says, then that does no good for us and nothing's going to change in our lives. And the third question is, are you doing what he says? Do you know it? Do you believe it? And are you doing it? And the operative word in each of these questions is the word says. If we don't understand and hear the voice of God, there is no way we can have a healthy relationship with God. And there's this epidemic, I believe, in the church today, especially the church in the U.S., where we can easily wander in and wander out of church on a Sunday morning with with very little expectation placed on us from either within or outside of the church. There's this epidemic of people who would say, I know of God, but I can't honestly say I know God. I can't honestly say that. The question is, where does that come from? Why don't we feel like we know God? And, And it goes deep into the movement of the church today. Because I believe that God wants to do incredibly powerful things. I, I actually think that it's, it's amazing. Like, can you just take a second and be fully present at church for a moment? You live in Eagle River in 2020 in this community. Maybe you live in Chugiak or in Anchorage or you're on the base. But you live here and you are here right now. And I actually think that God has a purpose for you. I, like, I actually believe that this church exists for right now and right here for the people in our community, for our city. And so in all of that, that's a beautiful thing, except are we walking into that amazing vision that God has for his church? Are we being fully obedient to the call that God has on our lives? Because I promise you that we as a church will not do anything of deep kingdom value if we don't know God personally. In fact, if we don't know God personally, what we're going to look for in church are loopholes. And I've been guilty of this before. I'm looking for an excuse to not do what God says is best in my life. And so when there's opportunities to push on things and and you get challenged in certain ways, I get why sometimes you're like, man, I don't want to be a part of that because you're not hearing it from God. And here's what I realize every week as a pastor is that my voice, honestly, on on its own, carries no weight in your life. And I totally get that. I just want to acknowledge that. Like, if we know each other, we might not know each other, but I acknowledge that my voice alone carries no weight in changing your life if the Spirit of God does not speak to you today. 
And I know this because after church, it's, I have the funniest conversations. People come up all the time and they're like, oh, Pastor Brian, oh, it's so great. When you said this, I knew exactly what I needed to do in my marriage to, to heal this thing. And man, thank you so much for that piece of wisdom. It's going to change my life. And I'm literally racking my brain going, did I say that? I, I don't think I even said what they're thinking I said, but God is speaking to them. And what, here's what I also know. You guys could care less about my points. They're never what you talk about in the lobby, right? So I, I'm like, I, put, I spend way too much time trying to figure out how to say certain things and put up slides and make it look cool. It's almost never that. It's almost always the Holy Spirit got a hold of me with this random little thing that was said, and all of a sudden I'm just, I'm just wrecked, and I know what I need to do. I'm going to move forward in that. We will not have a relationship with God, a real relationship with him, if we can't hear him. We have to begin to hear his voice. So big idea today, um, if you miss everything else, is this. If we learn to be here with God, we'll begin to hear from God. If you learn, right, even right now, as you sit in that seat, how to be here right now with God, you will, I promise you, begin to hear the voice of God in your life. And it's going to change everything. And so last week I talked to you about how Jesus heard from his father. And we talked about the baptism moment of Jesus where he gets baptized and the father looks at the son and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Jesus, Jesus knew who he was. And I said, before he ever did anything, anything miraculous and, and notable about his life, he knows that his father loves him. He knows that he is a beloved son of God. And from that empowerment of identity, he goes out and does all of these incredible things. So that was Matthew 3, but in Matthew 4, it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And I'm always like, I should guess so, Right? 40 days, 40 nights of not eating, I would definitely be wanting a cheeseburger at that point. Jesus was hungry. Uh, the wilderness, this word wilderness is the Greek word oremos, oremos, which could also be translated as desert, desert place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place. Jesus knew how to get alone. And if you continue to read the story, Jesus' first day on the job, he goes out and he's casting out demons and he's doing these miraculous healings, and there's all this energy and momentum, and he wakes up the very next morning, and he goes away and does it again. Back to the wilderness. Back to silence and solitude. It would be sort of like if, let's say next week, next week you guys, you guys come to church, but this week it's different because everybody in this room, you heard Pastor Brian say, hey, text a friend and invite him to church, and, and let's say this week you all did it right? Everybody in the room did it. And so you show up, there's, there's literally not enough chairs. We don't know what to do with everybody. And, and let's just say that the Spirit of God comes in this room and he starts speaking to all of us in this powerful way. People are crying out to God, giving their lives to Jesus. And we just see this miraculous move of the Holy Spirit in this church. And then, you know, on Monday morning, you're like, where's Pastor Brian? And everybody's like, he went up to Baldy. He'll be gone for the next week. Some of you would be like, what? Call that guy. Like, God is at work. I mean, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And so get to work, right? And yet Jesus understands that when the momentum starts to grow and it starts to get busy and crazy and hectic, the first thing he knows to do is to get alone with his father. 
Uh, For me, back in November, I knew that this is what we were going to talk about coming into January, and so I went on a bit of a journey myself. I've shared this with a couple of you, but um, we've got a family cabin in Wyoming, and so I I call our family, and I was like, hey, here's here's like four days. Can I, can I go up to the cabin and just be alone for four days? And so we set this whole thing up. I told Amanda about it, and she's like, I got the kids. You just go do your alone with Jesus thing. We're going to figure this out. And this was months of advance notice to make all of this happen. So finally, the day shows up, and I'm in Wyoming. I get the truck loaded up and uh, the trailer, and I, I, I start heading out, and the snow's coming down. And, and then I get to Wheatland, Wyoming, and I go to Taco John's for some breakfast. Any Mid- Midwest people? I love Taco John's. Their breakfast burritos, extra crispy bacon. So good. So I sit down. I get my breakfast burrito. I'm sitting at the window of this restaurant. I can't tell you the last time I've ever sat down alone at a restaurant. I can't, I can't tell you. I just don't do it. Maybe you're more secure than I am, but I, I hate being alone at a restaurant. So I'm sitting there. I'm eating. I'm looking at the window. And I'm thinking about this journey I'm going on. And I'm just thinking to myself, I hate this. I do not want to be alone. How do I get out of this? This is terrible. And I'm literally trying to talk myself into not turning back around and just heading back home, you know. And, 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 and so I get to the cabin. It's beautiful. It's just this beautiful solitude, you know, place of solitude and silence. And I get everything set up, and I spend the next 24 hours in what I would call like a spiritual warfare type of journey. Like the next 24 hours of of emotionally fighting with myself and fighting with God. And and I didn't even realize the pace that my mind was going until I tried to slow down. Some of you know what that feels like. You're like, Brian, yeah, I tried to get silent for 30 seconds a few weeks ago. Nearly killed me. Never going to do it again. And so that's how I felt. So 24 hours of just really struggling with this. And then I... And I felt this burden, this weight, because I told some friends that I was going to go and be alone, and they were all like, oh, what's going to happen? And is the Holy Spirit going to like descend on you like a dove, and you're going you're to have this amazing moment with God and this inspirational thing? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I'm up there feeling this pressure, and I just felt like God spoke to me and was like, Brian, you don't owe anybody anything. Just let me love you. And, and my soul needed to hear that. I just needed to hear, just be alone with me. Let me love you. And so after about 24 hours, we started to move forward. I started to feel a little bit better. I got a a plan set up. I realized that I needed a schedule. So I created a daily schedule. I was going to wake up. I was going to pray. I was going to get in the word a little bit. I was going to read a book. I was going to go drive the side-by-side around. I had a, a daily schedule and it started to get some momentum. And I realized that this is something I've needed in my life. And I wonder if this is something that maybe you've needed in your life. You see, I, I feel like there's this lie that, that we fall into. Like we think, man, everything's just crazy around me. There's no margin in my life. I can't hear the voice of God. What I need is a Hallmark movie and a good beer. That's what I need. And that's going to fix everything. And some of you have fallen into that trap where you're like, man, it's been a lot of beers. I still can't hear God. I'm just, that's a different sermon, but there's a problem with that. <laughs> or a lot of Hallmark movies, right? That'll get in your head too, ladies. I'm just, I promise you this. And, and at some point we realized, man, this isn't working. This isn't helping us to hear the voice of God. Now, you think about Jesus. He got alone and then he was tempted. And I, I've always struggled with this text too, that, you know, why would Jesus go get alone when he was to be tempted by the devil? That seems like the worst place to be, alone and hungry. 
But here's the truth. Uh, would, would you write this down? That for God's kids, the desert is a place of strength, not weakness. The desert is a place of strength and not weakness. When you get alone with God, you may just be at your strongest. And the battle will begin, and you'll begin to struggle in certain ways, but maybe in that place, when you can actually hear the voice of God, is when you are strongest to overcome the things that are coming at you. For Jesus, I feel like uh, silence was almost his fuel. Solitude, he knew. He knew, I got to get alone, I got to pray, I got to hear the voice of my Father. It was the fuel that he needed to do the miraculous. And I, I even think that he learned to take joy in it. If some of you are here and you're like, that sounds terrible, I don't want to do that. I love what Augustine says. He says, entering into silence is entering into joy. And I know some of you moms or college students are like, I need some silence in my life. It sounds joyful. But there's more to it than simply just getting away, right? Like when we say, no, this sounds really good, what we sometimes mean is, I've got a to-do list, I want to do my own stuff. I've got some projects I want to work on. I want to get some things done. No, this is about getting away from your agenda for a, for a moment and just hearing what is God's agenda? What does God want in my life? And it means dealing with two types of noise. The first type of noise is this external noise. And you can do something about this. This is something you have total control over. You really can. And, and, and even no matter what your life is, whether it's you know, with kids, without kids, married, single, college student, high school student, wherever you're at, you have space. And you can make space to deal with the noise in your life, even if that space is at midnight every day or early in the morning. It's really interesting. Jesus constantly went out early in the morning. It seemed like he just got alone with his father. This might take some discipline, right? Like if you're going you're gonna to make a little retreat like I did, it's going to take some work. It might even cost you money to deal with the external noise in your life. But honestly, this is maybe the easier of the two the next one you need to deal with is internal noise. Internal noise has to do with your mind. Like my mind is really easily distracted. I go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And so I can get alone. And I actually can make a a space of solitude and silence. But in that silence, it's like my mind starts screaming at me. And and maybe you felt this before like I have. Like I remember on, on day two, I was sitting there at the table. I'd finished breakfast. Um, I, I just got done, you know, like in the word and reading. And I just sat there and I'm like, all right, this is my moment. God's going to speak to me. Holy Spirit, speak to my mind. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear from you. And all I could think was, did I forget the steak sauce? That's all I could think of. Because I had a T-bone steak for dinner that night and I was really excited about it. And I was just like, did I bring the A1? And I don't know, like, did I get enough? And my mind was just everywhere when I just, I felt like, man, this is my job to get alone and, and now God, do your thing, right? Just show up. And sometimes in the chaos of our minds is right where God wants to speak to us. Right in and through that chaos. It's hard to deal with the internal noise. Internal noise is all about your spiritual and emotional health. I'll tell you this, emotionally and spiritually healthy people know how to get silent with God. It's part of our emotional health is that we know how to get quiet because the reality is when we aren't emotionally or spiritually healthy, we don't want to get silent. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I got quiet with God, what might he say to me? And have you ever honestly thought, maybe I don't want to hear it? 
Because in the silence is where conviction comes. There might be some things that are destroying you and destroying your, your, your life, and you don't know it because you can't hear it, and you can't hear it because you won't get silent. And so you continue in these destructive behaviors. That's where conviction comes. It's where sin is evident, right? In the silence is where I think about, oh, I did say that to my wife a couple weeks ago, and she's been looking me in the eyes and going, you're not hearing me, and I just keep writing this thing off, and I actually need to go back to her and apologize for that, but but I'm never going to think that in the noise of life. In the silence is where our imaginations go crazy, right? Um, it's where lust starts to be evident in our lives. If you've been putting things from screens into your mind, that's where the memories come up. And I'm just getting real with you. You guys, like me, have probably thought some things during church that you're like, I'm in the house of God, like, if they were to project what's in my mind on the, screen, on the screen, they would kick me out of this place. I mean, this is evil what's in my mind. How can I think of this at church or like, like during worship? You're trying to put your hands in the air and you're like, oh, my mind is just this place of filth sometimes. But it's only through the silence that we begin to be convicted about those things and make the changes we need to make to be healthy, to be whole. See, in the end, listening equals relationship. Listening equals relationship. And the reason we need to hear from God in the end is I believe the voice of God is the power of God in our lives. This is where his power begins to show up in miraculous ways is when we begin to hear his voice. Henry Nouwen says this, he says, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. If you don't get alone, and you don't get quiet, I assure you, you, you cannot live spiritually and emotionally healthy as a person. And what's interesting is Jesus' disciples, they really wanted to grow in this, and they watched Jesus do these miraculous and powerful things. And the Bible, it says some stuff that blows our minds that we are actually empowered to do even greater things than Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? I mean, look, I, look it up. It's, it's a powerful thing that Jesus is like, you're going to do greater things than me. So his disciples are like, Jesus, you're doing these really cool things. It seems like when you pray, stuff happens. But when we pray, we don't, know, we don't ever know. Which some of you, you're like, I totally, I totally connect with that. I pray for God to give me a parking spot at Fred Meyer. He does it. Pray for him to heal my sick friend. And he doesn't. And, and I don't know what that is all about. And that's a whole other conversation. But they wanted to learn how to pray. Like, what does it mean to actually hear from God. And Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, if the only time you talk to God is where you can be seen by other people, then that's your reward. They see you. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. And he goes on to give what we call today the Lord's Prayer. He teaches them how to pray. Now, what's interesting about the Lord's Prayer is it's pretty short. I mean, you could read through the Lord's Prayer in about 15 seconds. 
And so the question is, if you're going to spend a day in prayer, what do you do with the other 24 hours or 23 and a half or whatever that you didn't speak? Like, what do you do with the rest of the time? And I wonder behind Jesus teaching them to pray if there was, a, there was another lesson, which is you have to say some things to God and God wants to hear your voice and yet he already knows what you need before you ask him and so maybe you should get silent. Maybe you need to spend more time listening. And maybe in the listening is where the relationship can begin. I think at a very simple level, uh, if I were here today and I were to tell you, I'm married to my wife, Amanda, but I never listened to her. You would say that sounds like a divorce, right? And, And I assure you that would be the case. If I'm like, no, we have a relationship. No, I love her, but I never listened to her. No, but I tell her all the time how much I I love her. I speak to her all the time, but I never listen to her. I I promise you, I don't have a relationship with her. And there's an epidemic in the church today of thousands of people who say, no, I, I, I know of God, but I don't really know God. I don't really have a relationship with that God, if I'm honest, because I don't want to listen to that God, or I don't slow down enough to listen to that God. So I think the starting point for us in this room today is that, do you want a relationship with God? And if you do, then you have to begin to listen. So I want you to grab your next step action card here uh, on your seat. This is just a, a routine of ours as a church, and uh, it's, it's far too easy to leave here and do nothing with any of this. And so we are on a bit of a journey together of together writing down our next step. And maybe your next step is simply to give your life to Jesus. I just want you to grab a pen and check that box. I'd love to text you some information and encourage you this week on that. Uh, maybe your next step is to practice listening as much as you speak to God. So for you this week, you're just literally going to set a timer on your phone and, and you're going to time, how long did I ask God for things? And then you're going to go, I want to spend that two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes now just in silence listening to God. See what he might say to me. Maybe you need to schedule a daily office uh, or a quiet time, depending on your faith background, whatever you call that. Uh, we as a church, we're going to resurrect the quiet time. Uh, I think it's become something that if you've grown up in the church, you're like, ah, quiet time. That's so legalistic. I don't need a special time alone with God. You don't? Jesus did. And I assure you, Monday is coming and temptation will be everywhere. If you don't know how to hear the voice of God, you don't start your day that way. Uh, You and I will fall into temptation. I, I believe that. And maybe you need to kind of take it next level and plan a solitude retreat in the next six months. I would love it if everyone in the room would do this. And you can do this. Anybody can do this. And maybe it's, maybe it's just a day. You're like, I'm just going to plan a day. I'm going to put it on the calendar. I'm going to talk to whoever I need to talk to to make this happen. And I'm going to get alone with God for a day. And I'm going to deal with the discomfort. I'll tell you, the first day for me was really terrible. So maybe you should do a couple days. But whatever works for you, again, this is not creating rules for rules sake. But you need to figure out how this plays out in your life and how to get silent and hear the voice of God because he wants to speak to you. And once you dig out all of the junk and all of the emotional insecurity and all of the sin that we haven't heard about for a while, I think in the bottom of all of that, God's going to affirm us and he's going to look at you as a beloved son or daughter. And if you're in Christ, he's going to say, I am pleased with you. And everybody in the room needs to hear that. 
So would you stand up? I'd love to pray for you as we continue on in worship here this morning. Father, thank you so much that you do want to speak to us and we believe right here and right now, God, your voice is present. And God, I'm asking you to speak and empower your word here today in the church, that each of us would walk away with something and know exactly what to do. God, I pray against fear, anybody who's just afraid of getting alone. I pray against, against pride that would cause us to think we don't need this, that we're above this. And God, I, I just pray that we would trust that when we listen to the voice of our Heavenly Father, that it's always a good thing. That your, your heart is always for our betterment. So God, could we do the hard work of being disciplined so that we might know the God that we worship? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.